Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You'd open up your Bibles to John's first letter, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. As we take a little break from Mark's gospel, a blind spot that I think is pretty high up on the list and maybe is the main blind spot, it certainly is the blind spot that our world struggles with. We live in a world that is functionally getting less and less loving. It's become more critical, uh, certainly more hate-filled, more rage-filled, more divided. And yet, for the church, for us, for God's people, he's called us to love the way he loves I believe that that is actually the answer to what the world actually needs today. I think if the church were to live out the love that God says we are supposed to have, both for him, and that will be our focus today, and for each other, that we would be the counter to the culture that's going the wrong direction. You might notice in this passage, kind of bears the same truth. Back in 1965, you might remember, those of you that are a little bit older, you know, we were in our prime then. <laughs> Unlike today, our unprime. We're the, we're the meat that you don't want to buy when you go to Costco. Okay? <laughs> but back in 1965, Jackie DeShannon actually recorded a song that was written by Hal David that ultimately would be really made famous by Dionne Warwick. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Not just a little bit, but for every one of us. That is actually a truth from Scripture. And it's found here in our passage. We'll pick up in verse 17 of 1 John chapter 4. And a study that I've entitled Perfect Love, or Perfected Love, a blind spot that I think each of us at times has. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have not given us a task, you've not called us to something that you are not able to prepare us for, that you would take and mold and shape us this morning into your wonderful image, that you would both fill us with this love that we need and that you would pour out of us this love that the world needs. Father, bless us as we study your word and as we turn our attention ultimately to the greatest act of love that was ever done on this earth as we celebrate communion, the cross, your perfect love shown to us. Would you bless us today in Jesus' name? Amen. Verse 7 gives us a truth here in 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is Love. God is love. And it's interesting by the time John gets to verse 17, he starts talking about this love perfected. If God is love and we are his people and he has commanded us to be as he is, then we are to be love as he is is love. It's not a hard truth to understand. But I think all of us can recognize that we fall short of that ideal. Amen? 
I drove in this morning. I left about 4 o'clock, and as I was driving on the 10, uh, there was a semi going by, and let's just say it was doing slightly over the speed limit. And when it went by, I drive a Tundra. It's not a small vehicle. My, my Tundra was sucked into the wake of this passing semi. And my immediate thought wasn't, you know, God bless this guy for, uh, he must be driving somewhere in a hurry. It was more like, dude, you almost killed me. And I had there for a moment, it was just like, I know I can call somebody right now because I know a few law enforcement officers and we can, we can take care of this. There was a part of me that instantaneously went to carnal. Love wasn't the first thought. The reason I'm sharing that with you, I think we all have those blind spots to where love isn't the first thought. We're not instantaneously drawn to what would draw that person to the love of Christ. We're drawn to what would satisfy us. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. How was Jesus? He was perfected love. He was perfected love. He wasn't just holy. He was holy. He wasn't just righteous. He was perfectly righteous. He wasn't just God. He was God incarnate in human flesh. He didn't come in the fullness of his rhema, his glory. He came in the likeness of sinful man. And yet in the likeness of sinful man, he expressed his love to us. While we were yet sinning, actively present tense. Because as he is, so are we in this world There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If God didn't love us, Jesus would have never come. He very easily could have just simply started over. He made the universe that we are in. He could have simply made another one that was perfect. But he allowed us the opportunity to be imperfect so that he could perfect his love in us. Mind-boggling truth. If someone says, I love God, You want the answer to racism? It's in your Bible. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. If that truth were actually lived out in the world that we live in, then we would love everyone the way God loves us. That's how you solve it. You want to solve inequity of every kind. That's how you solve it. You want to solve gun violence. That's how you solve it. You want to solve what's going on in schools. That's how you solve it. When we see each other the way God sees us, When we love each other the way God loves us, then that perfect love will not allow us to hate one another. It won't allow us to abuse one another. It won't allow us to take advantage of one another. It won't allow inequity. 
It requires justice. It mandates justice. Perfect love casts out the fear of those things. God loves us that way. He wants us to love one another and love him the way he loves us. And when we do, there's not much that we can't overcome. The problem is, is we're imperfect at that kind of love. Notice where this goes. You say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. The Bible's very plain on this. Very, very strong truth. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? Mind-boggling to me that people who claim to be Christians could carry around the type of hatred that God actually says, I think you need to check and see whether you're actually one of my kids or not. Because if you really love God, it should be impossible for you to hate your brother. Regardless of your differences. Regardless of what might separate you or irritate you. The division that exists in our world and in the church shouldn't exist if we were doing what God called us to do. This commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. That's a commandment, by the way. Now, for those of you that are married, you're here in the room, you might remember that you made some marriage vows. Amen? They're usually things I promise to love, to honor, to cherish. Really horrible one to obey. In sickness and in health. Usually ending with something like, unto death do us part. You could make all kinds of wonderful acclamations about the things that you will do. But if your wedding is not about supreme love, then it becomes just about obligation, doesn't it? See, if you take the love out of something, no matter how right it looks, no matter how good it might sound, no matter how well structured it may be, when you remove love from any relationship, whether it's between two people or between us and our God, you're not left with much. Oh, it may look holy. It may have fine sentiment. But the truth is, love is both the superior gift, exactly as 1 Corinthians 13 declares, and is also the very thing that separates us from people who don't know God. Did you know that? What the Bible says, that we have the capacity, the ability, we know a different kind of love, a love that's so superior to the love that the world proclaims, I'm not here to bash the Super Bowl halftime show, but say what? (laughs) How far have we fallen? We are to love God and to love one another the way he loved us. The question then becomes, how did he love us? Up to this point in this letter, John has been actually talking about how we're supposed to love each other. But he now shifts gears. And the focal point becomes, how do we love God? 
We're supposed to love him the way that he loved us. That's what full-grown love looks like. Look, if you're a parent here, have any of you sacrificed so that your children can have something that you never had? Amen? How many of you have gotten up and gone to a, a job, say, for maybe 20, 30 years so that your family could have a roof over their head and it wasn't exactly, oh boy, I get to go to work today. You actually suffered through some very difficult things. You, you put time aside. You put your own pleasure aside. You did what was right for the betterment of others. You know, you're supposed to love in joy. Did you know that? And that's an acronym. Jesus, others, yourself. That's how love actually works. It's to God, supremely. Then to others, secondarily. And then finally yourself. The world has that backwards. It's, it's yaj. It's yourself, then maybe others, and then if you have time, you know, love God. The Bible says we're supposed to love God supremely. That's where we get the, the absolute ability to love other people. We can't love others unless we love God first. We have to love God. And the problem is with a lot of us, we kind of just sort of like God. Or we want something from God, so we do things for him. We don't actually love him. We're really fond of him. We haven't become full grown in our love. We, we kind of have that high school musical love, right? It's like, oh, he's so handsome. Sometimes we love God like that. It's like we're, we're in love with the thought that God exists. Or we're in love with what we perceive he might be like. No, we are supposed to love God as he has loved us. How did he love us? He loved us enough to send his own son to die on Calvary's cross in our place. He loved us enough that the book of Romans says that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. God loved us in a, an extremely mature way. That he desires that his children... Love him the way he has loved us. And that's the way we have mature love towards other people. That's the way we're supposed to be in this world. But so often we're tempted to fragment our lives into these little tiny pieces. And you can actually look and see and you can kind of test it in your own life. Do you have areas to where God is not actually welcome? In your social media, is God welcome? In your relationships, is God welcome? In your finances, is God welcome? In your work relationship, is God welcome? You see, sometimes we isolate us. Well, I love God when I'm at church. I love God when I'm around other Christians. You see, that's not that supreme kind of love. And when that love is tested, it's going to come up very short. It's not going to stand the test. It hasn't been perfected. It won't be, it won't do what God wants it to do for us. It's easy. We become preoccupied with the individual pieces. Let me explain this to you. There are all kinds of churches that emphasize holiness. Matter of fact, there is a movement here in this country, actually worldwide, called the Holiness Movement. And it's all about how you look on the outside. Many of you ladies in here couldn't qualify because there are no granny dresses in here. I didn't see one. Sorry, but you're carnal. You're, you're, you won't pass the holiness test. Some of you guys, I mean, there's a ball cap in here. 
God, help us. But you know what's interesting is God actually is holy. And he wants holiness from his people. But you see, if you just focus on holiness, it becomes something for us might even be unholy. It becomes a work. And that holiness becomes unloving. And it becomes unkind. And it lacks the gentleness of Jesus. And it becomes a weapon with which you can beat people. There's a movement in our world today that if you don't own a King James Bible, you're not actually saved. Well, you know what? I have one. But I don't use King James English every day. So I prefer not to read, and thou hast had thus said the Lord God Jehovah. Now I know what those words mean. But in the context of our understanding of the English language, they fall a little bit. So you could say, well, you know, it's the first Bible that was actually translated fully into English. It must be the right one. And before you know it, you don't have one. God wants us to love each other. So if you still love the King James, praise the Lord. If you got a New Living Translation, praise the Lord. It's a good dynamic translation. It's actually fairly good word for word. It's not about that. There are churches that focus on social issues primarily. Wonderful things. But when the church that focuses on social issues becomes unloving to the church that really just wants to teach God's word, there's something wrong. Because we're supposed to be known the way we love one another and the way we love God. And if we're busy loving God... And loving other people, we don't have time to compartmentalize all these other things and make them into something they're not supposed to be. Look, holiness is important. Sanctification, separation, important. It's good for us to get victory over sin, important. We absolutely should be witnessing. We absolutely should be doing evangelism. We should have missions. All these things are wonderful parts But if you evangelize without love, like you see people do sometimes, standing on a street corner with their signs, it isn't going to draw a single person to Jesus. It might make them aware of sin, but chances are they're pretty aware of their sin already. You see, without that love, it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. That's what your Bible says. Yes, awareness of sin is necessary. But how do you make somebody aware is just as important. How do you love them? How do you share that truth with them so that it can be taken into their heart so that something can be done about the actual problem? How can we know some steps to growing in that love. Notice it begins that we have complete confidence towards God. Any of you, as you began your walk with the Lord, you generally have three fears that exist in your life, and we'll get to those in a moment. But notice that perfect love actually casts out fear and does not lead to torment. So for the person who's just simply afraid of God, you might have his holiness right. But you don't understand how much he loves you. You may have a perfect understanding of of the way he is in his glory. But you can't fathom that he actually wants to fellowship with you. That he wants to call you son or daughter. Did he want you as part of his family? 
God doesn't just want you to be holy. Oh, he wants you to be holy. But that isn't all he asks of us. He wants us to love him. And then love other people the way he loves us. That's what makes the body of Christ attractive. Holiness is wonderful. But most people are afraid of what that looks like in their life. They're fearful of it. You know why? Because we all know that's a long ways from where we are today. Amen? You look at your own life and you go, oh man, I'm not getting there. Praise God that that's not all God asks of us. There's a couple of new words that are employed here. Fear. Torment. Remember, this letter was written to believers. Not unbelievers. Do you know that believers can be in torment? They can be fearful? I think the chief reason that people don't grow is because they don't have a solid understanding of God's love for them. That is my basic understanding of of the human condition. I believe people stay immature because they don't know how much God loves them. They're they're just sitting there going, well, I'm waiting for God to catch up with the knowledge of who I really am. Surely he's going to barbecue me tomorrow. We're, we're kind of all wandering around waiting for God to zap us. Peter was right. God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his heart towards us. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want to chastise you. He will if he has to. But it's a last resort, not a first thought. We have to respect God. We should honor our Father. But we are not shackled in some cell of holiness waiting for God to mete out punishment on us. We have been set free, and we who have been set free are free indeed. Amen? With all of our warts and wrinkles. With, with all of our age spots, I've still not figured out this age spot thing. So I, I kind of believe it's like connected dots for adults. It's just like, ooh, that kind of makes like, I think that's a bear. We're afraid. We get this fear. The Greek word for fear is actually phobeo, from which we get Phobia. What John is saying here is perfect love casts out phobias, fears. And we're not talking, you know, agoraphobia, the fear of going outside, or arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. We're talking about the fear of judgment, chrysophobia. The Greek word chrysis means to, to have judgment in mind. And that fear generally comes from three areas of your life. There's something in your past that haunts you. You know how you were. You know what you were. You know where you've been. And you're waiting for other people to figure out, that's who you really are. Can I set you free today? God has forgotten your sin. He doesn't remember it anymore. He could, but he doesn't. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He's buried it in the depths of the sea. It is hidden behind his back. God does not remember your past when you're in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to fear it. You're not like the the person who was convicted of a crime, but you were convicted of only part of the crime. And you know you're guilty of other things. You see a lot of Christians walk around with that kind of guilt every day. You're just waiting for that final day of judgment, and it's not going to be good because God's really going to let me have it. That's one area. A second area is your present. Because you know in you dwells no good thing still. Oh, you want to do good. You're a Roman 7 
Absolutely. Those things which you will to do, you do not do. You want to be kinder. You want to be more gentle. You want to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. You want to respect your husband. You desire to do these things. You know these truths. They're absolutely in your mind. They're in your heart. But you blow it. So you're afraid of the present. It's like, I don't have total victory over this. Praise God, one day you're going to have total victory over everything. But right now you're in the process of being sanctified. Sanctification is going on in your life. You're becoming more like Jesus every day. But until you get home to heaven, there's still work to be done. But praise God, God's love overshadows what you are even today. Even though you're not perfect, read Romans 7. Praise God that Jesus has overcome your sin. The price for your sin was fully paid. It wasn't partially paid. Jesus didn't make a deposit on your sin. He didn't put it on layaway. It's paid in full. Heaven is yours. And in this present day, when you fail, when you stumble, when you stub your toe, spiritually, God is not going, well, that's it. You do not need to fear God's love being taken away because of what you did today. Now, he may chastise you. You may get a spanking because those whom God loves, he he chastens. He's not an unfaithful father. He might give you a good whooping if you need one. But it's not to cast you out of his family. It's to make sure that you know you belong in his family. He chastens those whom he loves. And if he doesn't chasten you, you're not one of his. So don't fear the spankings. When the Holy Spirit comes and says, that was not me. That was you, Jeffrey Scott Gill. Uses my full name when I'm really in trouble. (laughs) That's because God loves you. And he wants you to love him back. Or there's something in your future. You're worried that maybe this whole Christian thing isn't going to work out. You know, perhaps this... Maybe it's not quite what it seems. You're worried about some future judgment. You realize this passage actually tells you you don't need to fear judgment at all. Not judgment on your past, not judgment on your present, and not judgment on your future. Price has been paid. If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are redeemed. And you're going to heaven. Some people are afraid because of that. You don't need to be. Your sins were judged on the cross. It is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Amen? That life that you now live, you live because of him. It's how much God loves you. It's mind-boggling to me. I don't know how people get along in this world without God's love. Because it's a, it's a rough place. It's hard. We face immeasurable difficulties at times. Life is unfair. Life is unjust. If I didn't know my future, I would be afraid. But I look at the trials in life, as James said, as as a vapor. It's like it's a while. It's not going to last forever. One day heaven. I certainly don't look at my past. I haven't as... Paul said, I haven't received the spirit of bondage leading to fear again. I have a sound mind. I can can think about God correctly because he loves me supremely. And I'm supposed to love everybody else because of that. 
It allows us to think on things differently from a different perspective. It's the very reason that Paul could write there in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? He goes on to answer that dilemma by saying, not a thing. Amen? If we have that kind of love, if we've been loved with that kind of love, and John is saying here, if you have that kind of love, you're supposed to pass that love along. It should become your new operating dynamic. This is how we should be living as God's people. Because nothing in all of creation, past, present, and future, can separate you from God's love. So nothing in this world should keep you from expressing that love, both to God and to other people. It should become who you are. This is so important for us in our world, because you know what? All the hate that's going on right now isn't solving a thing. It is fixing nothing. The violence... Same deal. It fixes nothing. Retribution fixes nothing. When I learn how to love the unlovable, that's when I am most like God. Because I was unlovable. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saved sinner. I'm loved by the king. And I'm able now to love other people because of it. Fully. Completely. We have this perplexing mixture within us. But it should lead us to honesty with God. Notice verse 20 says, if someone says, it's another way of saying, he's actually used this phrase seven times in this little tiny letter already. If someone says, basically he's saying, is that really true? Because just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. You need to live it. Just because you declare it on a, on a card somewhere doesn't mean it's true. You need to live it. Just because it's your new mantra You've got a keychain, you've got a bumper sticker, you've got bangles hanging from your rearview mirror, and they all say, I love God. But you don't live it. You hate your brother, whom you have seen. How is it that you could claim to love God that you haven't? Wow. It's kind of a false type of love, isn't it? I want you to ponder that for a second. Communion team is going to be passing out the elements of communion momentarily, and I'm going to ask you to hold them, and we'll partake together in just a few minutes. But I want you to think on this for a second. If God sent his own son into this world while we were still sinning actively against him, and Jesus went to the cross, he's hung between two thieves, amen? One of those thieves made the right choice, one of those thieves made the wrong choice, they both saw the same information. They heard the same thing. They understood simultaneously what was going on. Perhaps one could say that this pretense, this hypocrisy, is still with us today. Oh, the cross is more than sufficient for it. But have you really believed it? Have you really accepted it? Is it a truth to you? Or is it like Ananias and Sapphira? Are you kind of pretending that you love God? 
and that you love other people. When you're at church, you have a different way of being than when you're at the office. Or when you're at church, you have a different way of speaking, but when you speak to your children, it's not the same. You see, this story, I believe, is in Scripture, not so much for the reason that is often mentioned. If you want to read it, you can read it later there in Acts chapter 5. But I will highlight it for you. There was a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they owned some stuff. And apparently that stuff was fairly valuable. And they sold that stuff. And then they pretended to give the proceeds to God. Peter, who's speaking in Acts chapter 5, says this, while that property was still yours, was it not in your control? And when you sold it, was not the proceeds yours to do with as you please? But in order that other people would think they were something that they weren't, They lied to the Holy Spirit about being spiritual. You see, our actions sometimes belie who we really are. Oh, we speak in Christianese. We talk holy things. We own a really nice Bible. Sometimes I go to church twice a week. And I'm not mocking. I'm simply saying our religious duties can become a way of lying. If it does not create a new and fresh loving you, first towards God and then towards other people, it makes you bitter. If it makes you angry, if it makes you think you need to misrepresent what you're doing, if you're telling your friends you're one way but actually in your heart you're another, then there's a problem. And so this passage says the way you know is if the love that you have is real. If it actually is who you are. What you do and who you really are are one. There's a word play in that story in Acts 5. Ananias actually means God is gracious. Wow. And Sapphira means beautiful. You think they would have known. God is gracious. He's beautiful. He loves us. And he wants us to love him without any hypocrisy. And to that end, it's time for us to stop pretending to be perfect. There are some of you here today who need to hear this directly. You need to stop pretending that you're perfect. Because you're not. You need to own it before God. Tell him, God, I need help. I need you to work in my life. I want to have confidence. I don't want to walk around in this living lie. I'm tired of being one thing on Sunday and something else on Monday. Oh, I speak lovingly to certain people, but when it comes to people that I disagree with, I just give them the real me. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. Christ died for that person that you have a disagreement with. 
Christ died for your broken marriage. Christ died for your prodigal children. Christ died for our insanity of our politics, the people that are involved in it. Christ died so that we could be free from all of these things, not give us a way to hide them. Ananias and Sapphira thought that they were going to be okay. Our lives should be marked by spiritual honesty, both before God and before people. How do we know that? Because Jesus showed us everything that we need to know. You have the elements of communion. You have a matzah. I don't know if you've ever actually looked at it, but the reason we use real matzah is it has in and of itself a story for you. It's unleavened. There's no sin. His body was sinless. It's bruised. It has little marks on it. He was bruised for your iniquity. He was crushed and broken for you. It's pierced. He was pierced for you. It's not a cracker. It's the love of God displayed in the sinless Lamb of God, bruised, broken, and pierced for you so that you could experience his love, so that it would become so real to you that the Apostle Paul would pass this ordinance along to the church by saying, as often as you eat of this bread, this matzah, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. That's only part of the story, isn't it? For most of us, that would be enough. Think of it from a human standpoint. Why would I say that? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus could have been just beaten, just bruised, just nailed to a cross. But without the shedding of his blood, without the price being paid, we would still be in our sin. How much did Jesus love us? Enough to be beaten, enough to be bruised, enough to have a crown of thorns pressed on his head, enough to be mocked and spit on, ridiculed, falsely accused, falsely tried six times. And then his life's blood drained out on Calvary's cross. It provided for you redemption. That's why it's the third cup. But what it really was was a show of his love. And so Paul said, this is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. It's a love feast, church. And we're to be that kind of love to the world around us. Self-sacrificing. Not self-absorbed. Self-denying. Not self-fulfilling. Forgiving. 
vindictive, kind, not angry, a friend of sinners, not a despiser of the very thing we once were. Jesus showed us his love. We are to love him as he loved us. And the way that the world will know that we're saved at all is by the way that we love each other and love the lost around us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. And we ask now, Lord, that as we have partaken of the elements of the communion table, we've been in koinonia with you. Father, we pray that you would prepare us to be your love and your light in this world. God, help us if we leave this place and we're not what you want us to be. God, we don't want to be those people that live in this building one way and in our world in a different way. Lord Jesus, we want to know what you want us to do. And so we ask that you'd send us out with that message to the world that you died for them that you love them and the way that we love each other and the way that we love them draws them near to your heart. Father, thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on Calvary's cross to set us free. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.